The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to New Reflections with Dr. Adam Rubenstein. Skin care and plastic surgery are hot topics these days. Let Dr. Rubenstein answer your questions and explain what you'll want to look for in aesthetic products and cosmetic procedures. Get ready for a discussion about all things aesthetic. Now, live from Miami, Florida, American Board Certified Plastic Surgeon, Dr. Adam Rubenstein. Hi, this is Dr. Adam Rubenstein. I'm the host of New Reflections. We have a great topic this week. This week we're talking about neck lifts. The show's called From Gobbler to Goose. And we'll talk about neck lifts and making that turkey gobbler neck into more of a sleek, firm goose neck. Uh, there's, you know, in, in preparing for the show, the thing about neck lifts, this is a topic that actually is, is a pretty popular topic. There's a lot of people that come in, and, and the most important thing to them is their neck. I saw someone just yesterday who actually had already had a facelift and wanted to make the neck better. And you know, the neck really is the most important part of a facelift procedure, and the neck lift alone can be done without touching the rest of the face. It's an increasingly popular thing. I, I see a lot of men particularly that come in for that. And we're going to talk all about neck lifts. Now, in looking at statistics, there's not a lot to say. Facelifts in 2011, according to the American Society for Plastic Surgeons, was the number one, I'm sorry, the number five uh, procedure done in 2011. Uh, it's the most recent statistics we have. And it was the number five procedure. Now, in that number is included all the neck lifts that are done as well. They don't separate it out. So it's hard to say, but facelifts themselves and that group, including necklifts, was up 5%. When you look at men and women, it's actually a pretty popular procedure with men where 10% of facelifts, again, including all necklifts, were done on men. And I think I'm, I'm certainly seeing more and more men coming and they seem to be more interested in necks. So we'll be talking about this. Let's talk about ways of making the neck better. And what is the problem in the neck? Well, as we age, gravity pulls on you. And things begin to descend. And there's fat that may sag. There's skin that becomes less elastic and begins to drift downward and inward. And so you, you get the jowls that hang. You get the skin in the neck that may hang. Having a, a excess fat in the neck can also make things look a little older. And even for younger people, having excess fat in the neck can create a problem. We'll talk about that. And there's a layer underneath the skin, underneath the fat, called the platysma muscle. And this is a big, broad muscle that sits underneath the neck. In actuality, it's two broad muscles. It's two bellies, one on each side. And it's sort of a thin sheet of a muscle that covers the entire neck. And it's there so that you can grimace and, and move your neck to make expression. But that is the culprit in many instances of having laxity there. And, and those bands that you see hanging down, well, that platysma muscle is what's causing those bands. So... And we have to look at all the different components that go into making a neck 
unattractive or making it look older and address them. One other thing that I didn't mention, you know, we have these uh, submandibular glands, the little bumps that sometimes you can see underneath the jaw, along the jawline, and they can stick out. And that's another issue. And we're going to talk about that with our guest. This week, we have two terrific guests joining us to talk about next. Our first guest is going to be Dr. Joel Feldman. He's a board-certified plastic surgeon. He is also the author of, a, of, a, of an acclaimed book, All About Necklifts. We also have Dr. Gregory Miller, who is a board-certified plastic surgeon as well, and he's the inventor of a new technique for doing procedures to improve the neck without making big incisions. We're going to talk about that. So in terms of making things better, there's lots of ways to do it. We have some non-invasive ways, uh, things that use energy, surface treatments, uh, sometimes injections or injectables can help. Then there's liposuction, obviously good for removing the excess fat, but probably not going to do much for skin. And then there's the open techniques where we make incisions and we get in there and rearrange things on the inside. And, you know, we'll talk about ways that maybe you you take skin out, maybe you don't. There's lots of different techniques, and and Dr. Feldman will be with us very soon to talk about his experience with that. And then percutaneous techniques, which means going through the skin without making big incisions. And Again, we'll be talking about that later in the show. So let's get right to it. I want to introduce our first guest today. This is Dr. Joel Feldman. Dr. Feldman uh, practices in the Boston area. He's a board-certified plastic surgeon. Uh, he's an acclaimed author of a terrific textbook on the neck lift specifically and an international authority in neck lifts. So I want to thank you for joining us, Dr. Feldman. Thanks for coming to New Reflections. It's my pleasure. I'm happy to be with you. Well, it's, it's our privilege to have you. Let's get right to it. What makes the neck so important? Well, I think, you know, even though most people don't pay that much attention to the way a neck looks, it can really influence the, uh, the age of the patient and how vigorous they are. And so uh, even though it can be a subliminal thing, uh, the neck, from an aesthetic point of view, it really is very important in determining how uh, people react to others. Yeah, I mean, when you look at it, when I look at, at facelift results, the first thing I look for is the quality of the neck, because to me, that's the real determinant. That, that's what's going to make a facelift look great or maybe not so great, is what happens in the neck. Oh, absolutely, and it's for that very reason uh, that a lot of people have come to understand that and why uh, increasingly so many patients come uh, just to have the neck done alone. Very often, uh, people uh, can sit tight with some relaxation of the soft tissues in the cheeks or around the eyes, but when that neck starts to sag or get full and lose the contour along the jawline or you get those turkey gobbler bands, it really begins to bother people, and that's why so often we nowadays we see people coming in just for what we call an isolated neck lift, which is where we do the neck without a facelift. Yeah, I'm seeing a lot more of that myself, too, and a lot more men showing up. Are you seeing more men interested in this procedure? Well, since I'm a so-called expert in this area, I get a lot of men. In fact, half of my practice is men. Oh, yeah, most, there you go. And most of them are uh, come in uh, specifically for a neck lift. Well, let's talk about ways of getting that done. I mean, you are probably the, the greatest expert in the world on this particular procedure. I don't think anyone has as much experience or has, has spoken about this, this area of the body as much as you. So let's talk about ways of making it better. The first thing that comes to mind, especially in younger patients, you see that little waddle of excess fat, you know, the, the double chin, people will call it. Right. What's your, what's your feeling about liposuction there? 
Well, I think in, in the right patients, liposuction can be uh, very helpful. It's a relatively quick and easy operation uh, to do. The results can be terrific in many patients. Um, so I think uh, it's a very useful way of doing things uh, for lots of patients. That said, personally, I use it very infrequently because uh, I always try to get the best possible result that I can, and patients coming, come to me expecting that, and I find that I have better control with the amount of fat that I'm removing and the amount of fat I'm leaving behind if I make some small incisions and I take the fat out under direct vision rather than doing it blindly with liposuction. And the other reason is that a lot of patients also have some deep fat underneath that thin sheet of muscle, the platysma that you've already mentioned, and you really can't get that out accurately or safely if you do it blindly with liposuction. You have to go under the muscle and trim out the correct amount of a fat and then put the muscle edges back together so you don't leave a hollow or a deformity in the midline of the neck. And so that, so that I have more control over the final result, uh, I tend to open just about every neck I do. It's more uh, invasive. It's more time-consuming. The recovery takes longer, but in the long run, in my hands at least, the result is better. Well, I, I would probably agree that if you do it open, you're definitely going to have more control of what's going on and more direct vision. But it is nice to have sometimes uh, a quicker, simpler procedure, especially in younger patients. And that's really what I reserve the liposuction for. But I, I agree completely. I'd much rather be looking at what I'm doing. And there are some surgeons, and I'm sure you know many, that will use liposuction even when they're doing an open neck lift. They'll start with suctioning the neck. And to me, you know, I'd rather have nice, clean planes of the tissue to be able to see and dissect things directly and have better control than doing the suctioning. But, I, you know, whatever works in your hands, whatever gets nice results for you is a, is a reasonable way to go. Well, I think, uh, that's, I think that's right. I, I don't think uh, any experienced uh, surgeon uh, can be really dogmatic because we've all learned that there are a number of different ways, different techniques that can reach the same goal, the same destination. So if a surgeon feels comfortable using uh, open or closed liposuction and they get good results with it, there's, there's no way to argue with that. Uh, for me over the years, just in my hands, I find that I have a little better degree of control when I use uh, some other instruments other than liposuction to remove the fat, but I have no objection uh, with those that use the liposuction. All right, well, let's talk about the anatomy a little bit and, and make this plain for folks listening. The layers that we're dealing with, you, you really work with a more advanced amount of fat, and you work in deeper layers than many surgeons do. So let's talk about the layers right. of, the, of the face. You know, you've got the skin, and then directly underneath the skin, there's a little bit of subcutaneous fat, a little fat pocket that sits between the skin and that platysma muscle that we've been talking about. Now... Beneath that, you've got the platysma muscle that sits there. And then underneath the platysma, there's a little bit of fat pocket right there in the middle of the neck and some muscles in that area, too. And that is where you are able to get the fat out, where if you were doing it with liposuction, it really would be, I think, dangerous to even try and get to that fat. Right. Well, there are blood vessels that run in that deeper fat, and there's more... Um 
uh, fibrous connective tissue in that fat, which makes it hard to remove accurately. And then in that same area, there are some nerves that move the muscles around the lips and the mouth that can be injured if you're too aggressive, uh, if you do a blind procedure. So it really does help to do the deeper work, and by that I mean the work underneath the platysma muscle under direct vision. Sure. So if, if you have someone with a real thick, full neck, then you're really looking to get in there and get at everything you can and not try and just remove it superficially because you're concerned with the deeper amounts of fat, too. Right. But, you know, uh, some necks have a lot of that superficial fat uh, sandwiched between the skin and the muscle. So uh, taking out enough of that fat is very important as well. But, you know, as we've all learned, the amount of fat that you leave behind under the skin is equally important because if you take too much fat out, either uh, under the skin or from under the muscle, then you can leave the neck uh, robbed of that n- normal soft tissue quality that's so important. You, have, you can have skin that's stuck down to the muscle or you can have divots or contour abnormalities or hollows in the neck. So not only is it important to remove enough fat in the right places, but you also have to leave the right amount behind. Yeah, that's a great point because it's that extra that that I always tell patients, you have to leave a natural layer of fat because it keeps the skin looking soft and normal. Otherwise, it'll look a little bit leathery uh, and it'll get stuck onto the muscle possibly. It can really look terrible, but you know, when they come in, man, they want everything out if they can. They say, just get it all out, you know? so, right. Well, they leave it up to you. They leave it up to the surgeon to take out the right amount. So I can understand what the patient means by saying that, but at the same time, it's a matter of experience and judgment and aesthetic values that you have to apply to make sure that you're, you're doing the, the right thing for the patient because uh, a lot of this really is um, sculpture. And so you have to be have an artistic point of view and you know and you have to have the techniques available so that you can reshape and reposition and recontour these tissues in the right way so you get the result that you and the patient are after. Absolutely. Well it all comes down to the guy that's that's you know holding the instruments or, or the or the lady that's holding the instruments. Right. So now let's let's talk about uh, the skin. You've done some really great work and and explored different options in taking skin out or not taking skin out. And I think you've really tested limits and and successfully tested limits on the idea that, you know, maybe you don't have to take skin out because typically when we do neck lifts, the classic neck lift or facelift is really, you know, the first thought that comes to mind is really removing the excess skin. You got skin hanging, you kind of lift it off of the tissues that are underneath, pull it tight, remove the excess, and, and close it that way. And you really challenged that idea with a lot of the work that you've done, including the stuff that, a lot of the stuff that's in your textbook, talking about, you know, maybe we're taking out too much skin. It, is it, you can do this without taking out a lot of skin, and the results that, that you've shown have been terrific. That's been an evolution for you. So, well, yeah, I, you know, I've found through trial and error that in many patients you don't have to take out skin if you don't want to. Um, uh, the value of that being that you can make smaller, more well-hidden incisions, particularly those behind the ear. So 
and patients uh, that have very thin hair or very little hair or in bald men, for example, where any scars that extend from out behind the ear might be visible. Uh, in those patients in particular, not removing skin can be uh, of real value. And the reason that you can do that is because if you very widely free the skin from its underlying attachments to the deeper tissues, then the skin will do two things. First of all, it'll slip and slide uh, downward from the front of the neck, so it uh, it will eliminate that uh, web at the begin at the middle of the neck that a lot of patients develop over time. Uh, and the other thing that happens is when you release the skin, that it allows the little elastic fibers within the skin itself to shrink down. So you get a shrinkage of the skin and you get a repositioning of the loose skin. And with those two factors going on at the same time, it'll take up most, if not all, of the slack uh, that's, that's there. And so if, but it's all contingent upon freeing up the skin very adequately. It, you know, and I think the results that you've seen, you know, you'd look at some of these necks, and I've watched your presentations over the years, and uh, it's really been incredible. Well, you start with necks, and you look at it, and you say, okay, that's, you know, a fatty neck. It's not a lot of excess skin. It's not hanging that bad. That makes sense to me. And then you look at the next one that you show, and it's, well, there's a little bit of skin there. I can see, all right, if you if you loosen everything up, it'll redistribute, and everything can look good, and, and you know, your results speak for themselves. And then yeah, I remember a few years ago you showed one. You put this up. I said, there is no way that this is going to look good without removing skin. This lady had a lot of two big bands hanging down, you know, jowls that were forming, just lots of excess skin. And I'll be damned if your result was not significantly improved. Uh, now, you, I think in that case, you had a little bit longer incisions and you said you had taken just a, a little bit of skin out, but obviously you had not done what we would consider a full necklace. It's really... Pretty impressive what you can do if you give the skin a, a, some place to move and get better. Right, right. But that said, you know, uh, for there was maybe a 10 or 15 year period where I did every single neck lift that I did without removing any skin at all and just freed the skin up and uh, let it contract down. And I, you know, it's, I used to call that the shorthand way of, of thinking about that is it's a shrink wrap technique in terms of dealing with the skin. But since that time, I've learned that, you know, you might not get quite as much tightening of the skin in the lower midline of the neck or without taking out any skin in some patients. You might get a very small little skin fold behind the ear or below the ear. And to avoid those those kinds of minor problems, which uh, can uh, bother some patients. I do take skin out from the neck now, and so it's kind of a 50-50 thing, whether I take some skin out and use a slightly longer incision, and I talk with the patient about it, and I see how they wear their hair, whether it's back in a ponytail or if they're a bald man or if they have very thin thin hair and that sort of thing. And the patient and I decide together uh, whether or not this is going to be the shrink wrap technique or the technique where I uh, sneak out a little skin from up behind the ears. Just, you know, it, the, the work has been spectacular. It really has changed the way a lot of surgeons, including myself, look at the work in the neck. And uh, clearly, a lot can be done without removing skin. And you've shown that with 15 years of experience doing just that. Mm -hmm. uh, we're going to take a short break. When we come back, we're going to introduce our second guest and talk about another technique where no skin's removed. In fact, 
really no major incision is made. We're going to be back talking with Dr. Gregory Miller about the eye guide technique after these short messages. We'll be right back on New Reflections. Your life, your health, your network. This is Voice America Health and Wellness. Cosmetic surgery is a big deal. Make sure you do your homework. Why? This is not my car I'm working on. I may settle for an okay job on that, but I won't settle for anything less when it comes to my body. Do your homework. My doctor trained with world-renowned plastic surgeons. My doctor is a fully board-certified plastic surgeon. My doctor is an MD and on staff at several Florida hospitals. My doctor is an associate professor of surgery at a major university. My doctor is Adam Rubenstein. People pick a doctor based on trust. You can trust Dr. Rubenstein. He has the experience, knowledge, and artistic touch you're looking for. Call 305-792-7575. That's 305-792-7575. Call today for a free consultation. Dr. Adam Rubenstein, Turnberry Plastic Surgery at Biscayne Boulevard in the William Lehman Causeway, where medicine meets artistry. My doctor is Adam Rubenstein. Join Patricia Raskin, the host of Positive Living on VoiceAmerica.com, Monday, 11 Pacific. This program brings you practical and inspiring principles for living a more authentic, engaging, and passionate life. Patricia's guests will give you a formula for connecting, giving, forgiving, and miraculous living. So tune in and call to Positive Living, Mondays at 11 Pacific Time, right here on VoiceAmerica.com. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. You are listening to New Reflections with Dr. Adam Rubenstein. If you have a question or comment for the host or this week's guests, please call 1-866-472-5792. Again, that's 1-866-472-5792. You can also send an email to info at dr-rubenstein.com. That's info at dr-rubenstein.com. Now, back to New Reflections. Welcome back to the show. We've had a great discussion so far about neck lifts and speaking with Dr. Joel Feldman, a board-certified plastic surgeon from Boston. Let me introduce my next guest. This is uh, Dr. Gregory Miller, who is a board-certified plastic surgeon practicing in Southern California. And he is also the inventor of a technique called the eye guide. Dr. Miller, welcome to New Reflections. Thank you. Thank you very much. Well, it's great to have you. And I've, I've... been doing now the eye guide procedures for a little while, and I'm really impressed with the improvement that it makes on what Dr. Feldman and I were speaking about earlier, just doing a little bit of liposuction. Because you know, as we were talking earlier, that can make a nice improvement, but it, it doesn't deal with any of the deeper stuff. And you know, without getting into a more extensive operation that we were talking about earlier, it's been it really no other way to treat the deeper tissues, especially that platysma muscle. So tell us, what made you come up with this idea for the eye guide? Well, I tell you, I've always been using Dr. Feldman's technique, which is is definitely the gold standard for uh, neck muscle surgery. And back in 2005, I was doing a case, and we were filming for a whole other reason. 
And as I was tightening up the uh, suture, one of my sutures pulled out, and then I noticed on the film later on after the surgery several weeks that the suture had sort of lassoed around one of the attachments of the skin to the underlying muscle. And then I realized those ligaments or the attachments that hold our skin on could be used to weave sutures around to anchor them to build sort of a lacing underneath the chin line. So I build sort of a shoelace-like matrix between the skin and the muscle that helps support the muscle. Really, really neat. And so, I mean, obviously you could do that with it open. And, and uh, Dr. Feldman, you know, you're the, the probably the, the biggest authority on that platysmoplasty technique and uh, using the, the wandering suture, as you like to call it. This is a way of doing it without making the incisions. So tell us how this all works. Yeah, the way that it works is uh, we first inject numbing medicine so that we sort of uh, inflate the skin and the, the area between the skin and the muscle through several little needle punctures. And then along the side of the jawline, we make specially marked puncture sites and uh, place a suture that is attached to a rod that has a lighted center, and the doctor watches the light as it passes under the skin so that he or she may keep it at the right level so they don't go too deep or too uh, close to the surface of the skin, and it enables them to place this lacing right between the skin and the muscle. When the two uh, suture ends come out at the front of the chin after they've crisscrossed, just like you would your shoelace, from the back of the chin to the front, one would just pull tension on the two ends and tie it like you would your shoelace. And that actually ties it down tightly. It makes the skin dimple somewhat on the operating room table, which makes doctors a little nervous. <laughs> I have to admit, I've got to tell you, that dimpling did make me a little... You know, I, I, you have these videos, these great instructional videos that doctors can watch to, to see the technique done. And, you know, seeing the dimpling that you've got and then you show your results, you know, I, I, I had some idea that, look, it's going to get better. But when you're doing the procedure and you really have to reassure the patient, too, because they see it that first day, um, it's it's a little bit daunting to stand there and say, you know, this is going to get better. But the truth is, by the next day, it's gone. Absolutely. And, and the reason is because you've got swelling there, and then we inject a lot of fluid, probably four to 500 cc's of fluid, in and around the neck area so that we can separate the skin from the muscle. And, and we use that sort of like Dr. Feldman. I, I sort of copied his idea of sort of lifting the skin up and, you know, hoping that it will sort of shrink wrap down. We just do it with water, and then we take a liposuction cannula and we just sort of scrape the undersurface of the skin. Well, and the liposuction obviously is, is creating space. Now, clearly, this is different from, from what you're talking about, Dr. Feldman, because you're entirely separating the skin and the muscle. It really has a lot more sliding potential. But tell me, Dr. Feldman, what are your thoughts on this, the idea of just stretching those attachments, you know, removing the fat with some suctioning so you have some space? There's going to be some movement. What do you think of that? Well, you know, I've never personally used the uh, eye guide technique myself, so it's hard for me to comment on it from uh, that point of view. But I've seen the videos, and there's no question that this is a, uh, a very clever technique, and there's also no question that it's uh, a lot less invasive than my open approach to the, to the muscle. Um, you know, I think with a lot of these things, uh, it all comes down to whether or not uh, it's going to stand the test of time. It may well, uh, but we'll, we'll have to wait and see, I think. 
Yeah, I think that's true. But now, Dr. Miller, you've been doing this for a long time. I, I just started doing it myself. I watched it. This is a technique that's been around for a number of years. And I've watched it and has seen a little bit of its evolution. And then kind of, you know, it, it, made, it made sense because I think it follows Dr. Feldman's principle of firming up the tissue and supporting it underneath, which is something you can't do normally with just a liposuction technique. So I, I went ahead and took the jump. And I've been impressed that... It's not the same as opening things up, and I think, Dr. Miller, you would agree that if you had a tough neck, you're still going to open things up and and do a more extensive procedure, or maybe not. You may be so fast on with this, you wouldn't, but I know in, in my hands, I would. But in those patients that are kind of in between, I think it's a really nice offering to give them a procedure that's not as extensive, not as expensive, with an easier recovery, and uh, and give them a little more oomph a little more result to the procedure than just suctioning. Yeah, I, I would have to agree, and, and certainly when I started out, when I had patients with a lot of redundancy, I would, you know, go ahead and do a traditional open neck lift like Dr. Feldman's. But as the years have evolved, I've, I've done over 500 of them now, and, and we have over five years of experience, and I'm able to do just about everyone, and I can still resect skin. I just make sure that I really put a lot of fluid in to get those ligaments on stretch so that I can move the skin envelope upwards with my facelift procedure to get the skin redundancy out of there. So when you, what you're saying is if you're going to be doing – now, you know, there's a lot of vernacular out there that's a little confusing. When you're doing a facelift, and when I say facelift, we're talking about improving the area just below the eyes all the way to the base of the neck. Correct. That, that you're – way of dealing with the lower part of that, which is from the chin down to the base of the neck, would be using an eye guide procedure. And then for the part that is from the jawline and the chin up to just underneath the eyes, that you're doing more of a traditional facelift. Correct. Correct. And so do you connect that dissection at all? Are you, are you getting into the neck with your, with your facelift scissors at all and, and freeing those things up, or are you just relying on the eye guide? Well, no, what I'm doing is um, I will infuse the entire face and neck with the tumescent fluid. So I'll put in probably four or 500 cc's of fluid, which is a lot more than we normally would do. Absolutely. And then I tunnel the entire face and neck, and then I will work on the face portion, and I'll elevate the facial flaps along the cheekbones, and I will sew the smas or the uh, muscle layers together to lift those, the deeper layers, right along the cheekbone. Mm-hmm. Then I'll lift the skin flap up. I will thin it, trim it, and, and put all the sutures in and close everything in the face. And then at the very last step of the procedure, that's when I place the trampoline as well as the neck-defining suture. Yeah, you mentioned that. Let's talk about how this, this goes. Because it's that trampoline uh, that, that I'm familiar with and I'm comfortable doing. And what I have not yet done is that neck-defining suture, which is a technique uh, made popular by a guy named Jim Papa, who took a stitch and would go from one side, you know, behind one ear, across the neck to behind the other ear with a stitch that would be pulled a little bit tighter to create a deeper neckline, to really define the line of the neck, you know, for making a deeper neckline and a, and a more defined chin. And I know you do it on most procedures, and, and I haven't had the the experience yet to try it, but that's a stitch that I have heard some trouble with. So tell me how you're working on that, because the, the, as you might imagine, if you're listening, this is a stitch that goes behind the ear across the neck to the other side, and we're putting it on a little bit of tension to kind of pull things up and create definition. 
but that is something that you're going to feel. If you're a patient that has this in, you can feel that tension, and sometimes it's too much, and patients can't take it. So I mean, for me, I don't have the experience with that yet to be able to say, you know, this is just the right amount, and, and that might be too much. So I, I haven't ventured there as yet. I and mean, one day I may give it a whirl, but not yet. So, you know, with your experience, tell me how that works for you and, and, and you know, what you're looking for and what the benefit that it gives to the patient. Absolutely. Well, I think, you know, Dr. Feldman would, would agree that one of the challenges of the neck are, is to elevate the portions of the neck at the back part, and that includes the submandibular glands to help give a nice definition at the back part of the neck. And so that's why we use the neck-defining suture, uh, or GM-PAPA. In my early experience, I was always using it because I knew we needed that support back there, but you're right. We had, uh, you know, quite a few revisions because it might, might be too, too tight or too loose or maybe slightly in the wrong position. So over the years, it's evolved to where now I just make a loop of suture that goes uh, from behind one ear around, and then we tie it right in front because the knots behind the ear were a problem when I used Dr. GM Papa's technique. It would cause irritation, sometimes infection. But getting it at the right tension is critical. We just have the patients tip their head back as far as they can, and we tie the knot when we see the first signs of the skin going in. It's not tight at all, but it's a really good helper to help define everything and support everything underneath the neckline. And that combined with the trampoline does everything. Right, and the, with the trampoline, I've been very impressed with. And Dr. Feldman, uh, you know, listening to this, you obviously have, you've seen time come and go on the GM Papa stitch. What are your thoughts on that type of technique? Well, my own personal experience, and, and that of uh, a good many other plastic surgeons that I know, is that um, if you rely primarily on a suture to uh, create definition or to hold the glands up or, and that sort of thing, it uh, usually over time doesn't seem to work because the tissues have a way of stretching out or the glands or whatever pop out underneath or above these uh, tension sutures. And uh, they generally don't, as time goes on, they haven't lasted very well. Now, I can't say that the way that uh, Dr. Miller puts his in, it may, not, it may work perfectly well for him, but in my own hands, uh, it's not been terribly successful. So it's because of that that I tend to open the tissues and, and try to make them smaller or reposition them and do things that I think are going to last uh, uh, better over time. Yeah, and you, you have a very uh, aggressive technique with the glands, more so than the average surgeon because you're very experienced and comfortable with it. And uh, I think that's a unique talent of yours. And most surgeons may not feel as comfortable dealing with those glands because, you know, there, there are things that can go wrong when you that, start that, touching that, them. That's true. No, there's no question. Um, there's no question that my approach to the neck is, uh, is more labor intensive and it takes longer and it takes a greater degree of experience and, and so on. So I think we're all looking for, uh, uh, quicker and easier and less invasive uh, ways of doing things. And so uh, exploring the uh, what the eye guide technique and others can do in a less complex way is, is, is a good thing to do. I think we have to just keep uh, being critical and, and looking and seeing what works for us and what doesn't. Well, sure. I, I think that, uh, Dr. Miller, sounds like when you were describing that stitch and tightening it up, 
that you're not, you know, I think one of the one of the problems if you're using that that defining stitch and you're trying to create too much definition is you are making it just too damn tight and it's going to bother patients. So it sounds to me like when you're placing it, you're just putting it in just enough to to move the tissue and support it, not really to create a contour that wasn't there. Absolutely, yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and I think that's really where uh, historically people using stitches to lift. And I agree. I agree completely, Dr. Feldman, that the stitches are not going to stand the test of time in terms of creating shape and creating support. And we've seen that in the face. We've seen it in in the breasts. We've seen it really all over the body. Stitch suspension techniques are not going to last forever. And sometimes they don't last real well at all if that's all you're relying upon. So. Right. You know, here I think it's just something that is is an extra support to help keep things from rebounding, and I think I think it's probably worth trying. Maybe one day I'll get brave enough to give it a whirl. But you know, if I got to take that patient back, Doctor Miller, I'm going to give you a call. Right. That's, that's great. Well, I right. think something like an elastic suture would be amazing if you could use something like that in the back of the neck. You know, things like that. Because I agree with Doctor Feldman and, and and you. You know, things like that don't last. But the sutures do stay right where you place them because we're not cutting all those retaining ligaments. So it does keep them right over the glands. Yeah, I, I think that the glands are one of those things. Let's talk a little bit about that briefly. You know, what we're talking about are the there's little salivary glands. And if you're listening, you can take your finger and kind of put it where most people would think to take a pulse and slide upward till you're just behind your, your jawbone, and you'll feel a little bump, like a little marble, underneath your neck in that area. Now, for some people, it's a small marble, but for other people, it could be as big as a golf ball. And depending upon the size and the position of that little marble or gland, it may and may not be visible when we do things like necklifts and facelifts. And one of the problems that we see every now and then when doing a neck lift or a facelift, you get a beautiful result. The skin's firm. Everything looks great, except you see this one little bulge on both sides of the, of the neck, you know, just to the side of the chin. And, you know, those are your glands. And what Dr. Feldman was talking about before and, and is very skilled in doing is opening up that muscle and getting behind it so you can see the gland, sometimes taking out a little piece of the gland to make it smaller, sometimes stitching it back a little bit to get it further back behind the bone so you don't see it. Now, most surgeons are not as facile or skilled as Dr. Feldman in, in doing that. And most surgeons, I would say a very small portion of surgeons have that uh, comfort level in dealing with that. So, you know, we've there are other things that people have tried to do to, to hide it, uh, putting stitches on top of the muscle to tighten that out. Uh, doing things like, you know, Dr. Miller, you were talking about using your neck-defining suture. But at the end of the day, I think in many instances, you just got to accept that, you know, it's there unless you're dealing with a surgeon that's comfortable in playing with those structures and, and moving them around or reducing them if you need to. And I know, Dr. Feldman, one of the keys to your beautiful, sleek necks in many instances is your ability to deal with those glands. Well, you're right, the, uh the submandibular salivary gland bulge is one of those one of the bugaboos of neck lift surgery, and it uh, sometimes defies just about every attempt to get rid of that bulge. That can be very bothersome to both the patient and the surgeon postoperatively because it can really be the one thing that mars an otherwise uh, terrific result. 
And even though I've tried uh, doing every type of suspension suture possible and repositioning and tucking the glands away, they seem to be like Houdini, and they seem to be able to escape whatever kind of uh, a, a fix you put on them to hold them up and uh, out of sight. And so for, for many years now, I, I uh, evolved a technique where through a little incision under the chin, I sneak under the muscle and open the membrane that surrounds the gland, and I free the gland up, and I uh, trim off with a little electric needle a portion of that gland. But it's only an ex- uh, 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 procedure that should be done by very, very experienced plastic surgeons because there are some big blood vessels that run through the gland and you can get into problematic bleeding if you're not prepared to deal with it. And there's some nerves in the area that can uh, uh, cause some problems if uh, if you're not aware of the anatomy. So uh, while it can be a terrific technique, it's only... F- uh, technique that's used by a few of us in the world who feel comfortable using that, which is really too bad because it's a very common problem, uh, but one that we uh, unfortunately don't really have uh, an easy uh, and quick uh, solution for other than this more complicated procedure that I do from time to time. Yeah, and I, I agree. It's one of those things. I'm sure, Dr. Miller, you, you see this all the time, that, that those glands popping out, in, and it's not that common when you look at total cases that we might do, but when it, when it happens, we're, not only the patient, but we're you know pissed off about it. There's not much we can do at, at that point to make things better. And, and you know, there's, there's few in, uh, options to make it better even during surgery. And, and I applaud your your skill and your bravery, <laughs> Dr. Feldman, in, in tackling that problem because there are lots of there's lots of badness surrounding that little gland that that you can get into. Right, so, you really have to be in total control of every aspect of that procedure when you're doing it. But that said, you know, I would say in about uh, 25% of the necks that I do, I do a partial resection of the gland, but. You know, uh, I think I'm probably one one of a handful of people who do that that procedure. But uh, it is a, a, a relatively unsolved problem to do it in an easier way, and we haven't quite come up with that easier way yet. Well, we talked about necklace when we're doing it uh, with liposuction, doing it percutaneously, as Dr. Miller has with his fantastic eye guide technique, and, and Dr. Feldman being the the probably the pinnacle of the open technique and we're going to take a short break and come back we'll talk about other options and, and different things uh, other things that, have, that relate to necklace and maybe what's on the horizon so stick around we're going to take a short break and be right back talking about necklace on new reflections real life solutions voice america health and wellness No matter what our age is, health deserves our utmost attention. But how do you achieve optimal wellness? Tune in to Ask Lorna Live. Your host, Lorna Vanderhaeg, will provide research-backed solutions that will have you feeling fit and fabulous. It all comes down to hormones. We'll show you how it works with mainstream medicine along with nutritional medicine. Listen for Ask Lorna Live every Wednesday at 6 a.m. Pacific Time, 9 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. 
Cosmetic surgery is a big deal. If you need a coronary bypass procedure, you probably want someone you trust and not the biggest bargain in town. You might get more than you bargained for. This is your face and body we're talking about. Do your homework. My doctor trained with world-renowned plastic surgeons. My doctor is a fully board-certified plastic surgeon. My doctor is an MD and on staff at several Florida hospitals. My doctor is an associate professor of surgery at a major university. My doctor is Adam Rubenstein. People pick a doctor based on trust, and you can trust Dr. Rubenstein. He has the experience, knowledge, and artistic touch you're looking for. Call 305-792-7575. Call today for a free consultation in a multilingual office. That's 305-792-7575. Dr. Adam Rubenstein, Turnberry Plastic Surgery at Biscayne Boulevard and the William Lehman Causeway, where medicine meets artistry. My doctor is Adam Rubenstein. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. You are listening to New Reflections with Dr. Adam Rubenstein. If you have a question or comment for the host or this week's guests, please call 1 866 472 5792. Again, that's 1 866 472 5792. You can also send an email to info at dr-rubenstein.com. That's info at dr-rubenstein.com. Now, back to New Reflections. Welcome back to the show. We've been having a, a great discussion about necklace. We talked about doing things uh, with just liposuction. We talked about doing it through the skin with the eye guide technique. Uh, we talked about doing it open with very advanced techniques. And now... There's, there's still, when you look at necklifts, there are more advanced options and there are less advanced options in terms of procedures to make that area better. You know, what I'm talking about here is sometimes people come in and they'll sit down in front of you and they'll say, Doc, this is what I want. And they grab the sides of their neck and they lift up and they say, man, doesn't that look better? That's what I need. Then there's this decision to be made because the neck is only one part of what we're looking at. We also have to look at the face. And so there's a choice to be made between a neck lift and a facelift. Now, obviously, the neck lift is a little bit less of a procedure. It's a little shorter in time in the operating room. There's less tissue that you're dealing with because you're not getting up into the upper parts of the face. But you don't want to do that and not get the best result that you can have. And, and so I, I want to ask my guests, uh, start with you, Dr. Miller, what is your thought on when you're telling a patient a neck is not going to be enough. Well, it's funny, just like Dr. Feldman was talking about earlier in his experience, he started out sort of, you know, doing most patients without removing skin because we like to minimize incisions. And I did the same thing, and I've learned over the years, although only five, that you do have to remove skin in, in certain cases because patients will have redundant skin and they may not be happy with it. So when I evaluate the patient, I look at their skin elasticity, I look at the fat content in the neck, and then I look at the position of the muscles and glands, and that's sort of how I, you know, develop my treatment plan. And if they have loose skin, I tell them that we're going to need to do a skin tuck or a neck lift or a facelift to remove that excess skin so that they'll have a nice smooth contour on the outside. 
So where's where's the line between neck lift and face lift? How, when you're looking at it, because you know patients they they look at it, they look at themselves in the mirror and they say, oh, it's my neck, my neck is the problem, or they say, oh, my face is the problem. How where's the interplay? How are you looking at someone and saying, okay, you're going to do okay with a neck lift, and then you know that one needs a face lift. Okay, for a younger patient who has you know pretty good skin elasticity, who genetically may just have some fullness in the neck. Um, for those folks with good elasticity, I'll tell them we can just go in, remove some fat, place the uh, eye guide system, the trampoline, and the neck-defining suture, and the skin will contract. For people with neck skin that's lax way down on the front of the neck, I tell them that they're going to need an incision that goes sort of from the earlobe back behind the ear to lift that skin up and back to smooth the front surface or vertical neck. If they have skin hanging underneath the chin, I tell those folks they may need to have just an incision that goes in front of the ear or a short scar facelift to remove that excess skin. If they have redundant skin everywhere, then I tell them they'll need a traditional full lift with incisions that go from the front of the ear to behind the ear. Okay. And Dr. Feldman, you're doing a more aggressive treatment of the neck to begin with, so how are you making that determination between just dealing with the neck or moving up into the face? Well, it's really a matter of talking to the patient and finding out what's bothersome to them. I mean, if it's, uh, if it's the neck and it's fullness or skin or muscle laxity or bulges or whatever it may be, I can handle that with a neck lift alone without having to go into the face at all. A lot of patients who are bothered by the neck are also bothered by some tissue that overhangs the medial jawline, which we call the jowl. And in, Essentially, almost every neck that I do, I do what I call a jawline cleanup, and that means I, I, I tunnel under the skin of the jawline and I trim off that excess fat that's cascaded over the medial jawline. It's just slid down over time, and so I trim off that fat underneath the skin, and then the overlying skin shrinks down on its own and gives me a clean jawline, because whenever I do a neck, I always clean up the jawline, because the jawline's the transition zone between the cheek and the neck, and unless you have a tidy, clean-looking jawline, you're not going to have a nice blend between the done neck and the undone cheek. So a lot of patients simply elect to have a neck lift and a jawline cleanup, but I tell each one of those patients that a neck lift alone, even with the jawline cleanup, won't do anything at all to improve that little saggy business uh, just below and outside the corner of the mouth. Uh, we call that area the labiomandibular fold, but it's, uh, it's a very common thing that patients develop, and uh, that won't be helped at all, not even a tiny little bit with a neck lift alone. And to get an improvement there, you've got to lift the soft tissues of the cheek upward and backward. And so if that's something that they want to have corrected at the same time as the neck, then uh, I tell them they need to have what I call a cheek lift done at the same time. So that's the main distinction between whether I do a neck alone or I do a face and a neck uh, together. There are also some patients that are not that bothered by what's going on in the neck. Sometimes they have just a little bit of soft tissue laxity just underneath the chin. And you can see on those patients that if you put your fingers on their cheeks and you lift upward on the cheeks, that the sagginess just underneath the chin goes away because it's mostly a little skin laxity and it may not be very much, if any, muscle laxity under there. And so in those patients, 
that don't need or don't want much done to the neck, sometimes just cheek lifts alone uh, will suffice without my doing very much, if anything, in the neck. Really pretty neat. So it's looking at each individual part of the face and, and deciding. So that, it sounds like the key is what's going on above the jawline, whether it's in that jowl area or the pre-jowl, that labiomandibular fold is kind of uh, marionette lines, people will call them. If, if that's going on or if there is some sagging any higher than that, then we're looking more at a facelift, whereas if everything is from the chin down, the neck lift can do the job. Well, you know, and then each surgeon has to decide what they're comfortable with in terms of uh, handling the sagginess or the jowling along the jawline. Uh, a lot of plastic surgeons feel that they can't really get good definition and a clean jawline unless they lift the cheek, unless they lift the face. Uh, that's not been my experience because uh, I've I found that if I trim off any sagging tissue along the jawline that I don't actually have to lift the cheek in order to get a good jawline. Yeah, I think I think we're all in agreement there yeah. because you know, yeah, yeah. I, I do the same thing, I, and I know Dr. Miller. You know, you're very aggressive with your suctioning coming up over that area and and defatting it to try and get the best contour. So, mm -hmm. I, I think I think we all agree that 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 is an important thing we're looking at the neck. We're getting a little short on time. There's a couple things I want to make sure we get to. Is it kind of interesting stuff? There is a drug. It has been given the name ATX101. It's sodium deoxycholate. It's being developed by Kythera Biopharmaceuticals, and it's in, uh, it, I think it's in advanced phase two trials, might even be into phase three trials for FDA approval. And this is stuff that you inject into the tissues to help the fat dissolve and go away. Now, we've seen, uh, this was, this has been done with lots of different cocktails in the past. We commonly called it mesotherapy. But this is actually a single drug that is being used and it's being tested specifically in the neck, in that uh, area of the fat pad that sits just under the chin, just what we've been talking about the whole show. The results have been pretty impressive. It's a series of injections over the course of three to six injections, I think it is, over the course of time. I'm not sure what the intervals are, but when you look at the before and after photos of the, what the drug has accomplished, it's pretty impressive. So... You know, Dr. Feldman, you've been around a long time and seen mesotherapy come and go in the neck. What do you think? What if this would work? Well, I think, uh, you know, sooner or later, there are going to be these new therapies, and uh, hopefully uh, some will come along that are uh, safe and reproducible. And, uh, you know, down the line, there's no question that we're, gonna, we're all going to be doing things differently than we do them today. So I would hope that this turns out to be uh, something that we can use safely and predictably and do in a less invasive way. And as I say, time will tell whether it is safe and whether it is useful and what the exact indications are. But, you know, I would be excited about its prospects. Yeah, let's just, you know, keep our eye on the horizon for that. And, you know, what we have today, there are still, there are some promising things, but there's some problems with some of the newer technologies, too. In the break, Dr. Miller, we were discussing uh, Ulthera, which is an ultrasound technique, and we've, we've discussed that on my show before. It has some promise for skin tightening. Uh, you said you, you, you know a little bit about that? Yes, I do. And, and you know, I, I totally agree with Dr. Feldman. I think as we learn more and more and we find out what treatments specifically target, you know, problem areas, I think we're going to advance medicine less invasively. But with Ulthera, a lot of patients go in because it's not surgery and it's just an external approach and they just pass a probe over the skin. 
But I think what's happening, and I've seen this in a few patients where they've had an overtreatment, meaning that the area has been overtreated and some of the fat that lies underneath the skin, uh, between the skin and muscle, has been sort of vaporized, and meaning that it's, it's gone. And that can cause some scarring and abnormal contours to the skin. So even though it's less invasive, people need to be careful and not overdo it. Yeah, you know, we were talking about that before, Dr. Feldman, at the beginning of the show, about removing too much fat. And, and unfortunately, with some of these energy treatments, and not, it's not just Ulthera. There are radiofrequency treatments of, of many different brands that do the same thing. We know that heat will tighten skin, but it also melts fat. So you got to be careful. If you take out too much fat, you're going to have some trouble. Uh, now, uh, we're really coming to the close of the show. I want to make sure everyone knows uh, that's listening how to get a hold of you guys. Dr. Feldman, if someone's up in the Northeast and they want to go and have one of the most skilled neck lift surgeons in the world take a look at them and help them, where are they going to find you? Well, they can call my office. Uh, I can give you the phone number. And yeah, sure. Go ahead. It's 617-661-5998 and uh, get some information from uh my uh, staff or who who uh, can talk to them. Uh, I've got a website uh, that they can go to. It's uh, www.drjoelfeldman.com, and they can get some information there. And uh, we can try to answer your questions, and uh, sometimes we even do some little consultations if it seems appropriate uh, over the phone, and uh, we'll take it from there. Great. And Dr. Miller, how are they going to find you in Southern California if they want to have a more minimal experience with uh, their procedure? Sure, absolutely. I am located uh, right here in the Los Angeles area, Beverly Hills and West Hollywood. Our phone number here is area code 310-273-9800. Or they can look on our website, which is www.drgregmue. L-L-E-R dot com, and there they can look at some before and afters, or they can just go to the iGUIDE Necklift uh, search queue, and they'll find uh, many doctors who are doing the procedure and find some examples of the procedure. Well, I can say that this has been probably the, the most advanced discussion of necklifts ever done in a one-hour whirlwind tour. I want to thank you both for coming on the show. Uh, Dr. Joel Feldman, board-certified plastic surgeon from Boston, great guest. And uh, Dr. Greg Miller, who is, uh, as you heard, practicing in the Beverly Hills area. Terrific technique for minimal, uh, minimally invasive necklace with the eye guide. We have some new shows coming up soon. Listen in every Saturday, 12 to 1, with, coming up with uh, talking about plastic surgery websites. We've got a stem cell show coming up. We'll be talking about some of that new technology coming out, maybe some breast revision surgery, all types of, of uh, subjects related to health, wellness, and aesthetics here on New Reflections. Join us every Saturday, 12 to 1 Eastern Time, 9 to 10 Pacific. Look, Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week with a brand new topic. you stayed informed and entertained today on New Reflections. Please join your host, Dr. Adam Rubenstein, again next Saturday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, 12 noon Eastern Time. You can also email the doctor at info at dr-rubenstein.com or visit his website at www.dr-rubenstein.com. And don't forget to join us next Saturday for New Reflections on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Have a beautiful weekend.